think we're going to get hit by another uh, storm here. That was, I think, a very sobering moment for all of us. And I think that's when, in all of our minds, we probably started making that decision that it would be better to pull out. Inspired by Huck Finn and uh, Jim, we decided that a good thing to do would be to build a raft and um, spend our, the rest of our lives on the Mississippi River. And the most important thing you do when cooking on the river is you take your time. There is some natural appeal to being in nature that I can't articulate, and so I understand the appeal of wilderness. You help people on the river. It's something about the mud of the river that gets in your blood. You, you go out and help them. I'm also going to do my best to mic myself in the event that there's good audio. What's your goal with this? Are you just trying to capture the story? Capturing stories, the folklore, basically the folklore of the people who come on the River Gator. This is John and Lene Abnett, and we're on Bird Point, just at the Carrot Bridge. Why don't you guys introduce yourself and your relationship to this trip, the River Gator specifically, how you came to be where we are now. Hello, Chris. I'm John Abnett. My wife and I live near the Wabash River, grew up near the Wabash River, um, actually near the source. And uh, the Wabash River starts up in north, um, northwest Ohio in a farmer's field. It moves across Indiana and essentially forms the the border between Illinois and Indiana runs south to the tip of Indiana near Vincennes, um, where it hits the Ohio River and then flows, uh, then flows southwest down the Ohio River to the tip of Illinois, where we're sitting right now, um, and becomes the uh, confluence of the Ohio and Mississippi River. We were at a, a, a canoe symposium, a, a show, up at uh, Michigan State in 2014, and met Miss Janet Moreland. Lene and I like to kayak. We've done some inner and northern Canadian kayaking and fishing. Um, end of the road trips, we call them, where the roads no longer um, move on from there. And um, had kind of joked that we could jump in the Wabash River near our home and go anywhere in the world. Well, when we talked to Janet Moreland up at the Quiet Water Symposium and heard her speak, Lene got very inspired. And um, on the way home from that, she said, you know, we need to do a trip. If she can do this, we can do something. You know, we recalled then our comments about the Wabash River and, and, and our proximity to the source and, and to where all it, it can lead us. And uh, so by the time we got home that day, we had a date plan, uh, set aside to plan our start our trip. And we spent about a year of planning to get ready. And uh, then we paddled from the literal source, well, hiked initially. Um, 18 miles until we could get enough water to launch boats and then we launched our boats on the Wabash and paddled uh, you know the 1600 miles from the source of the Wabash to the Gulf of Mexico. During that preparation searching the web we came across the site of River Gator coming from the word navigator um, and this gentleman named John Rusky and um, of course we had our own past experiences and in, in, in gear um, but between John Rusky's website, some information that was posted by Janet Moreland on her trip, we used those as real key resources to get information about what to expect, um, specifically on the Mississippi through River Gator. And um, even corresponded with John a little bit at that time. And um, yeah, that's kind of uh, how we were introduced to it. And uh, that, that was the the preparation stage to our 1,600-mile um, source-to-sea trip down to the Gulf of Mexico. Hi, I'm Lene Abnett, the other part of John. And um, we live in a small town um, just right outside of Burn, Indiana, um, which is just a 
about an hour south of Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is in northeast Indiana. So our trip, you know, we talked about we had gone on several end-of-the-road trips. Um, this was kind of an end-of-the-road, end-of-the-river trip, both. Um, we, you know, got as far as you could go in the river until you were out in the ocean. So it kind of went along with a lot of our other trips. While we were on our trip and we had, you know, um, investigated things and we knew of John Rusky through the River Gator for, from the internet, we were um, privileged to meet him when we were actually on our trip. We met him in Helena. He happened to be there just briefly bringing in some kids that he had taken out for a day trip. And we met him and we stayed in the um, Quapaw Canoe Company a couple, they have a, a building there and we were able to stay there for a couple of days. They have a little place set aside just for paddlers going through. And when we met him and, and found out a lot of his um, his focus and that he does expeditions, we made a comment that we would like to go on a trip sometime with John Rusky. And we talked a little bit about how that would be different than our kayak trip that we were going on um, to give us a different view of the river. Beginning of January, I was driving and I do a lot of my best thinking when I'm driving and I thought, you know, there are certain things I'd like to accomplish in my life. And one of them was to go on a John Rusky trip. Interestingly, when I stopped my vehicle for that day and I quickly looked through my emails on my um, phone, there was an email from John Rusky that, you know, a standard email he sends out to everyone that introduced um, this um, celebration expedition, which was from, the, um, from St. Louis down to the Gulf. I knew we couldn't do the entire thing because John has to do this thing called work. And um, so we, so as soon as I got on, John called me and I said, hey, we have to do this Rusky trip. And he said, oh, okay, well, we'll talk about it. So we talked about it and decided that the, uh, the portion of the trip that we would like to do would be from St. Louis down to Carothersville for two different reasons. One, we had not done, we had not been on the middle Mississippi on our trip, and so that would be a portion that we have not seen before, and we would like to experience that. And then we decided that we would want to go from Cairo to Crothersville. That is a portion we have seen before, but we would like to see it through different eyes than what we saw before, through River Gator's eyes. So those were that's why we chose that portion and why we chose to do a river gator was because in our kayaks we were focused on survival in our kayaks and you miss a lot of things because uh, you're constantly you know you're you're looking at the river and you're navigating and um, when you get off the river you're you know you're fixing your meals and you're setting up your tent you're you're just surviving um, by doing it with river gator we are able to be in a canoe with a lot of different people and experience getting to know them other than just John and I getting to know each other. Um, but we were able to we're able to get their experiences, see through their eyes, um, and we aren't so focused on navigation and, and that so we can look, I can see the eagles that I missed the last time because I was busy looking at the river and they were flying to the side. Um, somebody else sees something and they, they pointed out that I may have missed. Plus then when we stop, we aren't so focused on, um, you know, the, the meal prep and that kind of stuff. So we're able to sit and look at the scenery, look at what we're, we're seeing across the river. And um, so that, that was the biggest reason why we decided to, um, you know, 
just be on a, on a river gator trip, just to experience it um, in a different way. Um, both ways are good, but it's just a different way than what we experienced before. I'm also wondering, too, who you are in terms of your background. So what informs a lot of the reasons that you are here or the, you know, the person you are? Is how do you think of yourselves both as a unit, both as, a, uh, as separate people? I'm curious about the Abnets pre-River Gator and pre-separate boats. Yeah, so I grew up um, on a farm in northeast Indiana. And, you know, as growing up on a farm, you work. You know, you just work. You go to, you just go to school and you work. And um, when you have downtime, you you exploit what's around you, and I mean in a positive way. You know, we had a woods, we had a creek, um, I had access to a pond down the road. So I mean, this is you know where I am now is is uh, is where I grew up. I mean, it, it, uh, geographically is a different location, yes, but it's this is this is how I grew up, and so it's very natural for me. So when I was a kid, I grew up out in the country. We weren't, we didn't have a farm, but we lived in the country. And um, I couldn't wait till summer to get here and to get my bare feet um, all roughened up and be able to, I remember how exciting it was when I was able to eventually be able to walk across the stones every year because my feet were tough enough. Um, so I was outside a lot. You, you mentioned it, John, briefly, but um Talk about that whole process from start to finish. I mean, we've talked about Excel spreadsheets. We've talked about preparing at length for these kind of things and the stress that goes into it. Can you talk about the milieu of separate boats from start to finish? So, yeah, um, we're both, I think, by nature. I mean, my career, actually, that's, that's what I do is I, I organize within a company. Um, I thought I was a really organized person until I met Lene, and I think she's actually got me outdone. But um, so by nature, we're very organized, and I think we work well together as a team. Um, you know, one of the one of the posts I wrote for um, for the Separate Boats um, blog was um, the business of expedition. Um, you need to treat it that way. Um, at the same time, not to overthink things, because you mentioned Chris. Yeah, you could just hop on. Um, um, I, I think sometimes um, outdoors riding. Um, likes to over-romanticize and even throw some hyperbole to add some romance, to add some excitement. And of course, um, you know, most adventurers are trying to do, you know, outdo each other with white knuckle activities dangling from, you know, from cliffs tens of thousands of feet above the, above the ground or, um, you know, raging class five white waters. And I think what it does, I think a lot of times it puts the, the population as a whole, it removes them from that thinking, oh, I'm not like that, I can't do that. In that regards, we couldn't be more average. Um, you know, one thing that really bugs Lene is when someone says, oh, I could never do that. And, and, and she's, she's looking at this individual that's, um, that's healthy and, and, and reasonably fit, and she's thinking to herself, no, you, you, you can do it. You choose not to. That's okay. Choosing not to is okay, but to say, I can't do that. I could never do that. Um, that really bothers her, and, and I've picked up on that, and I, I agree with her in that. But separate boats, as we were as we were planning, again, we're very organized, I think. I mean, you have to have food, uh, shelter, clothing, and fuel in our daily lives, our, our society life, as Lene likes to call it. Um, and you acquire that over time through, you know, gainful employment and, 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 and building wealth, if you want to call it that. Um, we've got this niche of the world that we call our own. You need to simply mirror that in a scalable model to take a trip like this. 
And so as we started building it, you, know, our, you mentioned our Excel workbook, which has just reams of detail that we would pull from Rivergator or just from our own past experiences or our own investigation. Otherwise, again, you don't need tens of thousands of dollars of fancy equipment. You just need to understand what you're getting into and plan accordingly. I, I worked on motorcycles for, for about six years, uh, and so I always tell my, my, my clients at that time, dress for the crash, not the ride. Dress for the crash. That's the understanding. How are you prepared when things go wrong? And if you, if you take that into consideration, then it's real, it can be relatively safe. Um, so we picked out two boats that we thought would be better suited for this, bought those. Um, and what's funny, we were preparing for our trip, people had almost, it was, it was almost uncanny. One of the first questions, of all the questions they could ask us, it became a joke. We'd almost look at each other and wink because one of the first questions people would ask us, will you be in the same boat? I mean, it was just uncanny how many times that question came up. And Lene would always adamantly say, no, separate boats. So after a while, the, 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 the tag separate boats, that became a no-brainer. It had to be separate boats. So that's where the name came from. Um, so we bought two kayaks um, for the trip. And then we went through and, and started looking at, okay, how many miles a day based on our past experiences do we think we can do? Based on River Gator information, what do we think we can do a day? Um, those boats have X amount of square footage of storage. Okay, you need fuel, you need clothing. You need, um, uh, you need shelter. Um, how much can we get in those boats? All right, now let's start, let's start breaking that down and, and how much weight can we carry? So when, once you work backwards, you know, establish your goal and then reverse engineer everything from that, then it's pretty simple to start developing a plan. I mean, the gear that's out there, the research opportunities are out there, our past experiences, it becomes pretty simple. But of course, in our nature, we documented all of that on, on, on multiple sheet workbooks, um, that had everything from, you know, uh, even even a, even a day-to-day, -day, I'll put it in quotes, itinerary because you know the river is a river, right? You you follow the water. The one thing we always tell each other is when there's current and stuff, follow the water. If I throw a pop bottle out here, it's going to make it through safely because it followed the water. Follow the water, and so follow the water. Uh, live on river time, as River Gator says. Take what the nature gives you. Don't force things. But other than that, we just reversed engineered it and it became this, you know, Lene started the blog and the website and um, uh, it just kind of became this uh, organic evolution of what we were doing in more of a public forum. He did the fuel, he kind of worked on the shelter. My biggest part was the food. So I started looking at different sites and different things that other people had done as far as backpacking because there isn't any information out there on how you pack for a you're an expedition or anything on the river um, in your kayaks or in your boats it's all backpacking and I knew I could very easily adapt that to us um, but so much of it I found people I'll say okay go buy this dehydrated you know packaged meal or go buy the the noodles and, and use that and, and I thought you know I, I look at those ingredients and there's a lot of things I can't pronounce plus that's expensive um, John had taken an interim job that um, paid a lot less than what he was earning before, so we, our income had dropped by 40%. So we were not, you know, we had to really watch how much uh, we were spending on food. And as I looked at that and saw the different um, blogs, I thought, well, I can dehydrate all this. Um, so I used food that I grew in our garden and John's hunts and he, we had some deer in the freezer and different things like that. So I, I took a look at those things and started to dehydrate some of that. And plus, and that, there are two ways to, to prepare a dehydrated meal. One is to 
dehydrate all the ingredients, put them together in what you think is going to be a good combination, and then I would vacuum seal all that. The other way is to dehydrate leftovers. So for a year we didn't have any leftovers. We would eat the meal and then the rest of it was dehydrated and stuck in a bag. The nice thing about dehydrating leftovers is you know if you like it or not. <laughs> the other when you just put the ingredients together you're not sure and then if you get on the river and you don't like it that's too bad because you're going to have it a few more times. <laughs> it's just the way it is. And there wasn't anything we absolutely hated and I don't know if it's because it was just that good or we just were that hungry, you know? By the time you get done, you could eat just about anything. And when you're putting all these dehydrated things together, you're looking thinking, man, that's not very much food. Is that gonna be enough for the two of us? But then when you add the water and it grows, there were a lot of times where you're looking at the, like, how are we gonna eat the rest of this? Because it really did make enough. And, and we didn't have any way to like, put our leftovers somewhere and there was no way we were going to throw that food away. Um, so a lot of John's way to, to eat a little bit more is I knew he was getting full if he would stand up with his lid because we had two cups, two sporks, two pans and a lid. That's what we ate off of. So I would always get a, a pan and he had a lid. So when he was getting full he'd stand up with his lid and he'd start to walk around. I'm not sure if that made more room but he always was able to finish everything. But um, so that was mine, and I, and I look back, and, and somebody said, oh, did you really pay attention to the calorie count and how many calories you were going to expend and how many calories you were going to eat and all that stuff, and I'm, I probably should have paid more attention to that, but I was just m more interested in making sure we had food. We had planned on our trip taking about four months, so I had 720 meals and snacks all prepared for us. Our boats would hold about a week's worth of food, and so I had to make sure, I tried to make sure we had a variety each week, and um, we had six, we thought we were going to be gone 16 weeks, so I had 16 boxes and filled each box um, with a week's worth of food. We had a dessert every evening. We had strawberry shortcake, we had banana bread, we had, so we had, we ate very well. Um, and so we had, I had all that stuff in our boxes, and John took care of the, um, of making sure we knew we were going to get the food. So I'll let you talk about that part of the, the um, food. Before you do, I want to, if you don't mind me asking, or if you have the information, do you have the number on how much it costs you in food? No, because so much of it came from my garden. That's hard to take, you know, hard to put that cost in there. Um, and I, and honestly, I. I put it out over so much time to make sure it wasn't, a, well one, it wasn't all that work at once, and two, it wasn't so much out of um, the paycheck each time. So no, I don't have any, any cost of how much that cost us as far as the food prep. It, it's almost better, or it speaks better to a point, the fact that it doesn't have to cost anything. If you, if you maintain your own veggie, vegetable garden, if you were thinking about it and being really diligent a year in advance, six months in advance, this can be attainable for anyone. You grow your own food, you dehydrate your own meals, which also was that, what kind of dehydrator were you using? I'm curious. Um, the, it's the Excalibur. I'm not sure what number it is, but it's the one of the larger ones. Uh, I looked at different ones. Some of them are round, and then this one is square. And I chose a square one because I had more, um, you know, more area per tray. And this one comes in different levels. I chose the nine 
had nine levels because I knew I was going to dehydrate a lot at a time. But speaking also to the money, I also started to think about, you know, I was buying maybe a little bit extra now, but for four months I was not going to be buying groceries. That was all before that. So that, that was a cost that didn't come during that. And honestly, it cost us a lot less to be on the river than what it did for us to be at home. Um, because we didn't have to pay insurance on our vehicles and there were a lot of expenses that we didn't have to pay uh, I paid a lot a lot of our stuff ahead of time so being on the river was not an expensive four months for us and since and we came home two weeks early because of flooding that really was a bad thing because our budget hadn't planned on us being home that two weeks yeah to Lene's point um, on the river um, we actually packed 250 bucks so we were gone 100 days and had 250 bucks in our pocket and some cash left when we got home. So the river, the trip proper cost nothing. You're sleeping on the beach, the food was all prepped. We had it all stashed ahead or cashed ahead as we would have it forwarded to, to post offices or wherever I could determine to do it. So on our clothing, we had three shirts, well no, we had two shirts to wear and then one to go into town on. So we had three shirts, three sets of clothing. Um, and then you know what we were to sleep in and stuff. And we were always clothed. When we got back, living on the river, yes, there's a parallel between living in our society life and living in our wilderness life. We, we always need shelter, clothing, food, and fuel. However, when you are on the river, it shows you how little you can survive on. Um, you know, we had three sets of clothes. We had, a, you know, a, two pans, a lid, two cups, two, you know, sporks, um, and just a little stove. Um, and we had a, a small tent that was almost too short for John, you know, so it was very, very small. Everything we needed to survive came out of our two little kayaks. But then again, we needed everything that was in there. So when we're on our river life, we're, we have everything we need, but then we go home and we have so much stuff. We don't need all that stuff. So often we, we still find ourselves saying, oh, I need and we usually stop after that word need and say, no, that's a want. We don't need any of those things. So living on the river really opened our eyes to what is necessary and what is a need. And that was one thing that, that was really good is to actually be able to define and put a, you know, a thing here between, um, yes, we do all need shelter, clothing, food, and fuel, but how much of those do we need? I can live with three outfits. I don't need a whole, a whole closet full of outfits. I will always be clothed. You know, so that was one of the big things that we learned um, between our society and our wilderness life. So once you left the river, how has that impacted your life after, if you think it has? And if you, if you do, are there a couple of realms in which you think your life has changed for the better or the worse? There are a couple of quotes that we started um, fairly soon in, the, in our trip, and we've transferred those into our life. Before the, before the um, trip started, John said, things will go wrong. He goes, well, you just have to know things will go wrong. And we decided that if something did go, and it's not necessarily wrong, um, things will maybe be not what we envision they should be. And if that happens, we just have to remind ourselves, this is the trip. This is part of our story. And that's something we've tried to take home too, whenever things go not as we expect we want them to go. Another thing we learn whenever 
we had a really, really rough stretch. And there was, it, there, because of the weather, we, and we were trying to get to a certain spot to get a food parcel. And the weather kept, kept stopping us and kept stopping us. And honestly, we were starting to get lower and lower and lower and lower and lower on food because, um, you know, it, we, have, we had a week in our boat and it was taking us longer than a week to get to where we needed to go. And one time we, we left a place, we knew what the forecast was. We knew that there were stor storms in the forecast. And we were in a place that would have been a very safe place. We would have had access to shelter in case there was a really, really severe storm that came through. We stopped there. We had planned to stay there, but the sun was shining and we wanted to get some more miles in. So we made the decision in the sunshine to go on, even though we knew that the storms were coming. Well, we, didn't, we only got maybe two or three miles down the road, down the road, down the river. The storms made us get off into this really, really nasty, muddy spot. And we were there for a couple of days. Um, it would have been much safer and much, I wouldn't say convenient, but it would have been a better spot if we had stayed where we were in the sunshine. And at first we were like, we were starting to regret what we did and pretty soon we said, you know, we can't change what happened. We can reflect on our decision and, you know, decide from here on, maybe we need to make better decisions, but not regret what we did. So that's another thing that we've come up with since then, reflect, don't regret. When we start to regret things, we look at each other and we say, okay, reflect, don't regret. And then that also, that changes our perspective on what's going on. And once you change that perspective, it's easier to make a, a better decision next time or even right there in the moment. Um, because your perception on things makes a huge difference on your attitude. It, 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 it affects how you um, communicate together. Um, and I think by reflecting and not regretting, it actually brings you together. Because when you're regretting, you start to blame and that kind of stuff. So those are two big things that we have um, really tried to apply to our life that we learned on the river. And, also, and, we, and just comparing our society and our wilderness life. And I say very often, I would much rather live in my wilderness life. But I was, wasn't called to live in the wilderness. I was called to live in society. So I have to take what I've learned in my wilderness life and apply it to my society. And what's nice about this trip is it's been two years since we were on our other ones. It's helping me to remind me of those things that I did learn in the wilderness that are easy to forget once you get into society because it's so easy just to get ingrained right back into that, that, that way of life. And this has just helped me to remember, okay, this is what wilderness life is. And to go back and, and just, you know, keep, keep remembering and that's that's something that we have to that's it's a struggle because everybody around you wants you to live the American dream which is somebody else's dream and that's not what you should live I remember my question and this will be the last one to cap it off can you talk about or what are some of the dynamics of paddling as a couple what are some of the either the lessons learned or just some of the um, quirks and and it's hard you bring you, you you brought each other how was being with each other the dynamics and we have general, uh, uh, definitely different skill sets. Um, we approach things differently. And I've got to remind myself that she has a perception and a lens and a skill set that I can't master and I can't see through that lens. 
And even though I still fail once in a while, it was, it was good for me to help realize that's her skill set coming through. Don't dismiss that or discount that. Um, even if I don't necessarily agree with it, try to understand it and look at it how she's looking at it, as hard as that is. Because she absolutely has a set of skills um, that you can't fully understand. So I need to take advantage of that. Um, I'd say overall on this trip, it actually brought us closer. Yeah, were there times? Yeah. I mean, did we fight? No, not really. We had a couple issues, you know, a couple instances, but that just usually came down to exactly that. She had a vision, an image, a perception. I had a vision, an image, and perception, and they didn't necessarily match. Um, you know, it's, it seems like a I don't know, common thing to say is, well, it's communication. Well, it is about communication. And I think not only communicating in the in the logical sense, but communicating in what's in my head sense. What's in your head, what's in my head. Um, more broad, big picture communication. What, what, what is your image for, for the day, the end of the day? Being a separate boss was kind of nice because if you did kind of get upset with each other, you could go just a little bit farther apart and not talk. And, so, and then the thing is you couldn't really hear each other when you were farther apart. So you could actually be muttering under your breath and the other person wouldn't hear a word. Um, so that was always kind of nice. But yeah, it did bring us much, it did bring us closer together. Some people ask me, what was your favorite part of the trip? And I can honestly say that the favorite part of my trip was when we were stuck in our tent because it was raining outside. Because that gave us a chance to just talk and just be together without any other interruptions. And those were definitely the best, best parts of the trip. Plus we would play Euchre and I would beat him. So that was really a nice little part of it so um, yeah it, it definitely has but another thing too that's made it made us closer is we share those memories with each other not with anybody else nobody else has memories of our trip and those are things and things will happen at different places and we can look at each other and we both know what we're, th what we're thinking and what we're doing without those experiences together you don't have that you know, you, some people have inside jokes. You know, we have these inside memories that, that nobody else is ever going to have with us. We had this experience together, and then not to have it together, I, I just can't even imagine that. So, yeah, it definitely did bring us closer together. And like you said, a lot of couples before, or even now, it's like, well, I could never do that with my husband. We'd kill each other. And um, that's another one of those things. You, you don't know until you've given it a try. Don't say you could never do things because you just don't know. Say you don't want to try. That I can believe, but don't tell me you could never. Um, I've, only, I've just got one question, and, and you, I'm not sure if you've answered it already, uh, Lene, but um, it, it relates to the whole thing of doing something solo, or in this case, doing something together. Um, I meet a lot of people who do these solo missions, loads of them. Um, let's just say you did do it solo, one or other of you, perhaps you could both take the question. How would you have done things differently through the preparation? What, would the, what do you think the paddling might have been like? like? Is it something you could imagine doing? That's a very good question, Andy. I think I'd probably need to, with my past experiences with Lene, need to put more thought into downtime. It's easy for me to get alone with my thoughts, but at the same time, I'm afraid, or that's the wrong term, I'm, I would have some concern that, you know, weeks or months at a time of downtime, in the evenings, for example, and such, I would need some distraction. Because when you're off the river and everything's secured, 
you're dry and you're, you're in your tent, well, I probably need a distraction. Because I've often thought about, you know, Janet Moreland, and there are several other ladies since her that have embarked on these trips alone. And I think the fact that we did it together and we are such a, we're such partners and we had our own jobs and stuff like that, I've contemplated, could I do this alone? I could. Um, I don't know if I'd want to. I could. To some extent, I, I would, it would take me a while to get used to it because I depended on John so much to do his part of finding us a, a place to stay. Um, you know, it was, it was nice to know that I didn't have to think about that. It was nice to know that, you know, when I think about, you know, pulling the boat up by myself and so many different things, I did think about that when I was on the trip. I thought, how could I do this alone? But they did. And, and hats off to them that they could do that alone. Um, I like to be around people. And that's the part I think I would have a really hard time some of the time, yes, I would like it. I'd like to be able to, you know, do some journaling, blah, 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 blah. But I would have a hard time without that interact, that social interaction. I don't think John would have a hard time with that because he, he's okay not being around people. I would miss that. I, do, I don't know. So, yeah, I, I have contemplated if I could do it alone. I, I'm sure I could. It's back to the thing. I'm sure I could do it. But it's not something I, I really, I, I enjoy sharing that with somebody else, sharing those memories, um, rather than having those memories just to myself. I guess I feel like it almost multiplies the memories by having it with somebody else, because you see it from two different views at the same time. Um, the one thing I would say is um, get off of your whatever your bank is and jump into the river and see a different view. All right, that was John and Lene Abnett, recorded on March 30th, 2017, day 11 of the River Gator Celebratory Expedition, paddling on the Mississippi River from St. Louis to the Gulf of Mexico. This episode was reported by me, Chris Battaglia, with music by John Rusky and Loyalty Freak Music. Thanks for listening. Tune in again.